Good morning. How are you this morning? Good. Good to see all your faces. Uh, my name is Andrew. I'm one of the teaching pastors on staff at New Life, filling in for Pastor Joe this morning. So we're going to take a minute uh, here in a second, and we're going to pray over them. I'm in, uh, we're in the series on the Ten Commandments this morning, so if you have Bibles, I'll invite you to turn in them to the book of Exodus, chapter 20. And um, I guess you guys are standing for reading of the scripture, huh? Okay, so let's stand together and we're going to pray and then we're going to read scripture and then I'm going to have you sit down, okay? So let's still our hearts in God's presence here. Well, it sure is a delight, Lord, to be your kids. It's a great mystery. None of us probably would have been friends <laughs> were it not for you. So our lives would have taken different directions. And, but there's something that happens. You know, the Spirit comes upon us and whips us up into God's people. And all of a sudden, our lives are richer than they would have been otherwise. We're so grateful for that. We're grateful to be able to come in this space and share some breakfast with each other and sing from the bottom of our bellies together and open this mysterious ancient text together and read it and try to hear wisdom from it. We're grateful to be able to come to the table together. We're just, it's so amazing. Would you awe us again with the whole kitten caboodle that we would know ourselves as people caught up in your great mysteries and our lives are dignified. They're made bigger because of that. Grateful for it. Uh, this morning, we're praying all kinds of grace over Joe and Erica and the boys. We're just asking that waves of refreshing would come to them, waves of refreshing. We're praying, uh, we're thanking you for all their service over the course of the last seven years, and we're asking that in these weeks that they're away that, uh, that all old weariness would wash away and all old attachments would be broken and that when they step back into this space, that they'd step in with fresh vision and fresh inspiration and fresh strength for the run ahead. So do that in them, we pray. Now we're asking, Lord, that as we open the scriptures, uh, that you would preach, Lord Jesus, that you would stand up in our midst. And so that, this is gonna be a communal effort. The preacher's gonna do his part, and the hearers are gonna do their part, and the Spirit of God is gonna do the Spirit's part. And in the middle of it, we're gonna hear the living voice of the Lord Jesus. You've promised to do that. So we claim that by faith here and now. We're asking that the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. Oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. Amen. Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Commandment one. Commandment two. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. And you shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children of the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Commandment three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Commandment four, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, neither your male or female servants, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, 
and the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, our commandment this morning, commandment five, honor your father and your mother so that, it may, so that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, thanks be to God. You can be seated. I love the commands because they do this very interesting thing. They sort of build for us uh, what I would call kind of cathedral of holiness in time. Okay? No other gods before me, no graven images, don't misuse my name, remember the Sabbath day. What the Lord is trying to do for his people is he's trying to bracket out all of the things that would ruin their life. And he wants them to live in a space of social holiness with one another. So he's saying, you keep your eyes on me first. Don't let your eyes be distracted by graven images. Don't you misuse my name in any way. Make sure that you live in a pattern of life that's whole and wholesome and sound. And then the fifth command here, there's this gear shift all of a sudden into really the social dimension of the Ten Commandments. And it begins with parents and children. Honor your parents, honor your father and your mother that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. The word that's used there for honor is an interesting word. It's the Hebrew word kaved. Can I hear you say kaved? Now, it's a word, the, the noun form of this word gets used a lot in the Old Testament, and it's the Hebrew word kavod. Can I hear you say kavod? Kavod is the word for glory. When we talk about the glory of God in the Old Testament, it means something like glory or weighty or heaviness. And so when the glory of God, you remember some of those moments in the Old Testament where the glory of God would fall on the people? And what would happen? A lot of times they would fall over. They couldn't stand in it because God's substantiveness <laughs> is greater than our substantiveness. And when God reveals himself to be all that he is in space and time, human beings can't stand in that presence. You remember Isaiah, Isaiah chapter six, when he sees the vision of God's glory, he goes, woe to me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. You know, and I live among a people like he, he, he falls and the heavens and the earth shake at the presence of God. It's his weightiness. So it's really interesting what God is doing here is he's telling the people that your posture towards your father and mother needs to be one of ascribing weightiness to them. Ascribing glory to them, ascribing honor, we might say to them. So kavod is glory weighty heaviness. Kaved means to make something weighty. So it has to do with our attitude. It has to do with our posture. It's, it's listen now, don't treat the reality of moms and dads flippantly. Don't treat it flippantly. And there are all kinds of reasons for this. One of the great reasons surely must be that the reality of moms and dads and sons and daughters together is a sort of icon into deep reality. Remember that we say that God in his being is what? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Theologians have thought about the Holy Spirit as the bond that unites the Father and the Son. So this issue of parents and children 
fathers and sons and daughters is really at the heart of all things. And it's like God is waking his people up in the midst of time and saying, hey, this primary relationship of yours, the relationship whereby you stepped into the world, that relationship is not to be taken lightly. No matter what is going on in it, don't take it lightly. It's not just utilitarian. <laughs> we don't just handle the relationship with our fathers and our mothers on the basis of what we can get out of it. I and mean, that's the way that our society handles it now. So we look at moms and dads or aging grandparents and we go, well, I don't know. I can't really get anything out of that relationship anymore. Or I had a real tough time with my mom or I had a real tough time with my dad when I was younger. And so that's it. I'm just splitting off the relationship, right? And we sort of break loose. That's the way that our society is. We don't honor moms and dads. We think that we can be the masters of our fate and the captains of our soul, the authors of our story, the creators of our own identity. One great theologian said that in our day and age, the only story that we have now is the story we invented ourselves and we decided that we didn't have a story anymore. And it's never for thousands of years of human history, it's not been that way. We've not seen grandmas and grandpas and moms and dads as disposable, but we've seen them as intrinsic to who we are and what it means to be us in the world. We live in a throwaway society and a lot of what we throw away is our primary relationships. And the Lord warns us against that. Don't treat the reality of moms and dads flippantly. Kaved, kaved. Kaved, no matter what they're doing, no matter who they are, no matter what the story looks like, kaved. It's an absolute command. It's not given with any kind of conditions. And it would be easy, I think, for us to think that this is just kind of a 21st century problem, that we in the 21st century are the ones who have uh, a temptation not to honor or to break away from our moms and dads. But the ancient Hebrews, I think, had it. There's a reason that they had to give this command. This is a group of people who have been delivered from Egypt, right? They're barreling across the desert trying to make their way into the promised land. That's a young man's game, isn't it? A young woman's game. We need the young and the swift and the strong. And it would be easy to look at your mom or your dad or your grandma or your grandpa or your great-grandma or your great-grandpa and to go, you know, we just really don't need you all that much anymore because we're trying to get something done, right? And in the midst of that, the Lord speaks through the mouth of Moses and says, Kaved, honor your father and your mother, that you may what? It has to do with our well-being. Somehow the honoring of that relationship has to do with our well-being. It has to do with our future as a people, which is why the law says this in Leviticus 19 and verse 32. The Lord says, stand up in the presence of the aged. Show respect for the elderly and what? Revere your God. I am the Lord. These commands are like parallel to each other. It's like our capacity to or our willingness to stand up in the presence of the aged and to show respect for the elderly is in fact also our reverence for God. I am the Lord. The Lord's trying to preserve something really profound here. Here's the question that I want to put to you this morning that I think this command puts to us. And the question is this, what deep down do we really value? What do we really value? 
Do we value power or do we value wisdom? Do we value power or do we value wisdom? If we just value getting things done, if we just value living swiftly and efficiently, we're not going to honor our moms and our dads. But if we value wisdom, and I don't necessarily just mean those who have gone before us as a source of wisdom, though it certainly includes that, which I'll show in just a second. But I also mean just that willingness to abandon ourselves to the command of God, which is wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Then we will honor our fathers and our mothers. The Old Testament is very aware of what happens when we get so consumed with power and with our own story, with our own sense of what the future is supposed to look like, that we break away from the moms and the dads in our lives. Here's one example of it in the book of 1 Kings chapter 12. You can flip over there if you'd like. I'm going to read out of it in a second. King Solomon has just died. So Solomon is the second great king, great king of Israel after David, his father. There was Saul before him, but Saul was kind of a mess. The monarchy was really established with David. Solomon gets it and consolidates everything. The empire becomes very wealthy. And then he hands it on to his son, Rehoboam. And Rehoboam is a young man who has just taken over the vast empire that his father has created. And this moment comes to him in the book of 1 Kings chapter 12. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone there to make him king. And when Jeroboam, Jeroboam was an adversary that he had, which we'll see in just a second, son of Nebat heard this, for he was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon. He returned from Egypt. And so these people, they sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly, assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam, so Rehoboam, remember, is Solomon's son. who's just taken over the throne. And they said to him, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. They're saying, hey, the nation achieved a level of grandeur under your father, but it came at a heavy cost to us personally. Would you now, young man, as you take the yoke of leadership, would you lighten the yoke on us just a little bit? It's a really human request they lay at his feet. So Rehoboam answered, go away for three days and then come back to me. And so the people went away. Now listen to this. King Rehoboam then consulted the elders. Everybody say consulted the elders. He talked to the moms and the dads, okay, in Israel, who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people? He asked. They replied, if today, this is so great, if today you will be a servant to these people and serve them, and give them a favorable answer, they will always be what? Your servants. Listen to the moms and the dads. Hey, young man, treat these people well. Don't be so afraid for your ego and your reputation and whether you can stand in the big shoes of your father. Just forget about all of that. Would you just, Rehoboam, listen, man, just be nice to these people. Serve them love them, wash their feet, and it'll create loyalty. There'll be affection between you and these people. They'll serve you forever. But Rehoboam rejected, the scripture says, the advice the elders gave him, and he consulted who? He consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him, and he asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? And the young men, who are as stupid as he is, who had grown up with him, replied, oh, these people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, my little finger 
is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I'm going to make it heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. And three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam as the king had said, come back in three days. And the king answered the people how? Harshly. He rejected the advice given him by the elders and he followed the advice of the stupid young men instead. And he said, my father made your yoke heavy. I will make it heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people. For this turn of events was from the Lord to fulfill the word of the Lord that he had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through Ahijah the Shilonite. And when all Israel saw the king refused to listen to them, they answered the king, what share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son to your tents, Israel? Look after your own house, David. Guys, this moment right here is the beginning of the fracturing of the empire. And it was predicated on this incredibly foolish arrogant act of Rehoboam whereby he refuses to kivad the fathers and the mothers in his life and instead he received the wisdom that was really no greater than the wisdom that he had there's something about it guys those who have gone before us see things in a different way do you notice the subtlety of the elders and their advice they go listen 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 and they know they know the fears of the young man the young man is afraid for his empire. He's not sure if he can hold it together. He's, he's, he's riddled with insecurity. And they say to him, don't worry about that. Just love them and be gentle with them and serve them. And they will always serve you. He can't handle it. His limited perspective and his small underdeveloped ego cannot handle it. And so he accepts the advice of the young people instead. And it causes the shattering of the empire. Guys, Moses sees this ahead of time. He sees the many crises that will come for Israel when they reject the wisdom that has gone before them. And so he says to them, listen, commandment number five, kevad, honor your father and your mother. Why? That you may what? Live long in the land that the Lord your God is living you. This story is a fulfillment of what will happen when you refuse to acknowledge the fifth command. Are we on the same page this morning? The whole wisdom tradition of Israel is predicated on this. This notion of fathers and mothers and sons and daughters living in a harmonious relationship whereby the sons and the daughters honor what has gone before them and they receive from it. Think about the whole book of Proverbs. The whole thing, like every chapter, is addressed to my son, my son, my son, my son. Listen to me, pay attention to what I say. Don't do this, please do this. Pay attention to this, don't pay attention to that. Listen, listen, listen. It's fathers and mothers handing on the wisdom to sons and daughters. There's something in this, guys. Our lives are preserved when we live this way. So I would say it this way this morning, that the people of God at their core, we are a people of wisdom. We're a people that are hungry and thirsty for wisdom. We're not just a people of power. In fact, for us, power is not a thing that we really chase. As people who are followers of the powerless Jesus, the Jesus who emptied his life out unto death, power is not really a thing for us. <laughs> power in so many ways is demonic for us. So we go, no, 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 not power. What we want is wisdom. What we want is we want to know how life really works. 
We want to know, we want to know what's the grain of the universe. Give us subtlety. Give us understanding. This is the whole book of Proverbs. Thirst for it. Above all else, the writer of Proverbs says, though it cost all you have, get wisdom. Get understanding. And the wisdom that we need is embedded in those that have gone before us, the fathers and mothers. Are we on the same page this morning? We're people of wisdom. We're people of wisdom, which is why we covet. It's why we honor the fathers and the mothers in our midst because they see things that we don't see and they understand things that we don't understand. There's a good friend of mine who when he was in junior high, he, had to, uh, uh, he was given a school assignment in which he had to interview uh, somebody old in his life and ask them some questions about what their life was like when they were young. So he went, this was in the early 90s, he was in junior high. So he went to his great grandma, Cora is her name. Cora uh, is passed away now. She lived to be about 100 years old. So she had seen, this is early 90s, so she had lived through five world wars, <laughs> right? World War I, World War II, she lived through the Korean War, Vietnam War, Gulf War. She saw everything, right? The texture of life, how it works. And he went to her and he said, great grandma Cora, question for you. I'm interested in your childhood and what your life has been like, but I want you to tell me, one of the questions that he had to ask was this. He said, Grandma Cora, um, what was the best time of your life? And you know what she said? She said it was those two, she said it was the, the Great Depression era. And he said, why was that? She said, because it was during that time when we had so little that we could rely on just in and of ourselves, so few resources. She said, we lived the way we're supposed to live as human beings. We lived, she said, that was the richest time in terms of friendship and neighborliness and relying on each other that I'd ever experienced in my life. It was in that time of great impoverishment and it taught me what it means to live as a human being. You can feel the weightiness in that, right? And you could go to the bookstore and find chicken soup for the modern soul or something, sayings about how to live a, you know, a good life. Oh yeah, make sure to pay attention to community and cultivate good friendships and stuff. That's all fine. Or you could have your friends tell you that, you know. Hey, remember about relationships, right? But when great grandma Cora, who's lived through five wars and the Great Depression says it, there's just a weightiness to it, you know. And I just want to submit to you that a huge part of our identity as the people of God is that we're a people that are always looking behind us to cultivate the wisdom of the past. I um, grew up in a Christian home. My parents, my dad just turned 64. And uh, I know what it's like. Like I know what it's like to grow up, you know, as a, I, when I was a kid, my dad was Superman to me. And then you get to junior high and high school and you have this like adversarial relationship with your parents, which no matter, like, no matter how virtuous they are and how godly they are, you still think that they are messengers of hell sent to torment you, you know? And you just can't get away from your parents faster. And I just remember that. I remember being in high school and thinking to myself, I cannot wait until like, I love mom and dad, but they're annoying me. I can't wait to get out of the house. And I've been out of the house now for 20 years. And you know, the funny thing is, is I've grown in my relationship with Jesus, my parents have become more important to me as a source of wisdom. And I, all of the big things that we've been through in our lives, first phone call. Hey, mom and dad, what do you think about this? 
what do you think about what we're walking through? Can you give me some perspective? Can you give me some wisdom? Like, what do you say about this? Like, what, what have you seen? What do you see that I'm not seeing here? And, 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 and call my bluff here. You know, if you think that we're being stupid on this, would you just say so? Would you, would you take this before the Lord? Like, that relationship is becoming more sticky. It's becoming thicker over time, which I think is the way that it should be. You know, the prophet Malachi This is the last book of the Old Testament, right before they go into the several hundred years of quietness before the New Testament begins. The very last thing that's said, you can read this in your Old Testament, it's the last thing that's said in the Old Testament is that before the great day of renewal comes, the scripture says that the hearts of the parents will be turned towards their children and the hearts of children to their parents to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. There's something about this, guys that the work of the Spirit of God is to turn the generations back to each other. And we are in the midst of a crisis in our culture where the generations live in antagonism towards each other. And what I wanna submit to you this morning is that the people of God are a people who allow God to soften their hearts to the generations. And that's not just young to old, but it's also old to young. It's everybody turns their hearts towards each other because we believe that we're enriched by the presence of each other. Are we on the same page this morning? Okay. But there's a second reason, and with this I'm gonna start landing the plane and taking us to communion because it's getting a little hot in here. There's another reason, and maybe a deeper reason, why the people of God honor fathers and mothers, and it's this. Because God commands it. And he works mysteriously through it. So here's the reality that we all live in and with is that the thing that makes it really difficult to honor fathers and mothers sometimes is that fathers and mothers have not acted in honorable ways. And so it feels false to us to honor that which is dishonorable. Are you with me this morning? And that's a huge thing for us. And here is the command the fifth command that is given to us without qualification. It tells us just to do it. Well, God, you don't understand. He, my dad was such a jerk when I was a kid. Do it. Well, you don't understand. My mom was just passive aggressive, manipulative. Ugh. Just do it. Well, you don't understand. My parents were drug addicts and alcoholics. Just do it. It keeps thrusting us into the blindness of obedience which is faith, which is faith. Paul says that we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is the very essence of faith is that it walks in the dark. The very essence of faith is that we offer up to God what God is asking for from us without qualification and without hesitation. And the scripture knows that this relationship can be a complex one. Do you remember Noah in the book of Genesis? After the floodwaters have subsided, everything goes back really the way that it was. The creation is starting to regenerate itself. Everything is getting to be fine again. And Noah, the scripture says, he planted a vineyard. And then he made some wine. Remember the story? And he drank some of the fruit of the vineyard, the wine, good vintage. And he got rollicking drunk. And he's in his tent, butt naked. You can read about it in your Bible. He's laying there butt naked. It's a dishonorable thing for a man of his stature to do. And two of his sons, he has three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, right? And Canaan. Okay, 
No, I just goofed it up. Come on, Bible scholar, is that right? All right. He's got three sons. <laughs> Two of the sons, one of the sons sees the nakedness of his dad and wants to take advantage of it in some way. Two of the sons go, oh gosh, dad has acted dishonorably, but we're not going to treat him as his sins deserve. And so they actually walk into his tent backwards. They don't want to dishonor the father. And they cover him up and they let him sleep it off. Love covers a multitude of sins. And when Noah awoke from his stupor, that son that had taken advantage of him and wanted to push him down on, the, on account of the dishonorable thing that he'd done, the curse fell on that son because of it. And blessing came to the other sons because of it. I want to submit to you that that's a picture into the fifth commandment. That even when our parents act dishonorably, even when those that have gone in front of us act dishonorably, we refuse to treat them as their sins deserve. But we honor them and we love them and we trust that somehow God is capable of working mysteriously through that. One of my favorite stories that I've ever heard that I think illustrates this, and with this we'll start making our way to communion if the band wants to come up. It's a lady by the name, a famous evangelist preacher lady by the name of Joyce Meyer. Anybody, any of you ever heard Joyce Meyer? Joyce, Joyce was raised uh, by two awful parents and her father sexually abused her. And when she was 13, 14, 15, she started nursing thoughts in her heart like, I am going to get out of here, out of this house as soon as is humanly possible. And so when she turned, it was like 16 or something, she did. She fled her home and was so deeply wounded and bruised and battered by what her father had done to her. And so she wanders away. She finds Jesus in the midst of that. And she's told this story lots of different times in lots of different ways. But the, as the story goes, she found Jesus. And Jesus really began to do this profound work of healing in her. Started to mend up the tattered pieces of her soul and her psyche over the course of many, many, many years. And she starts her ministry and her and her husband are traveling all over the country speaking and things are going great. And she's not really giving even a second thought to these parents that she's fled from. And one morning she's in prayer and she feels the Holy Spirit prompt her. Joyce, I want you, her parents were getting very old at this point. Joyce, I want you to spend your savings and build a little house for your parents and move them close to you so you can take care of them. And she goes, yeah, no. And the Lord bugs her about it again and again and again. So finally she goes to her husband and she says, hey honey, I was praying this morning and I feel like the Lord is saying this to me. And he goes, no, you haven't heard from Jesus. <laughs> Not after what they've done to you. You need to go back. And she continues to pray about it and she feels strongly this is the thing that they're supposed to do. So they move her parents close to her and they start taking care of them mowing the lawn, getting groceries for them, washing their feet, okay? And she said during that whole period, she said, my father was just still as mean as a snake, just horrible and vindictive and bitter. And every time I, had to, I went over there, I went there through gritted teeth. She said, and then one morning, I think it was a Thanksgiving morning, she said, one morning my mom called me and she said, Joyce, you better get over here. And she said, why? She goes, because your dad is over here weeping. And he says he really needs to talk to you. So she hangs up the phone and she goes over to her dad's, her parents' house, and she sits down with her dad. And her dad says, Joyce, I have something to say to you. I am so sorry for all of the things that I did to you when you were a little girl. Would you please forgive me? She forgives him. She leads him to Christ right then and there. And not long after that, baptized her dad 
welcomed him into the kingdom of God. Guys, that's the kingdom. That's the kingdom. That's the kingdom. We don't do what we're commanded to do because it works. We do what we're commanded to do because it's an offering to the Lord. So we go, Lord, if this is what you want me to do, I'm going to keep appropriate boundaries and all of that. But if this is what you want me to do, then I'm going to offer that to you. And I'm going to trust that somehow you're capable of taking that obedience and using it in a way that only you can use it to cause hardness of heart and evil and bitterness to crumble to the ground and to let your kingdom emerge in the midst of it. Brothers and sisters, when we come to the person of Jesus, we're coming to the God who heals relationships between sons and daughters, fathers and mothers, parents and children. He puts them back together again because that's what our God does. He puts the world back together again. Let's stand together. So Jesus, here we are before you, the son of your father in heaven, who leads us into an appropriate relationship with our father in heaven so that we can have appropriate relationships with our fathers and mothers on earth. We thank you that we, as the people of God, are the people who are caught up in the vortex of the loving union between the father and his son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you that as we're caught up in that vortex, that it heals our relationships on the human level. So do it here. And we're in here this morning, all of us, we're standing in here, the products of how life between parents and children has gone right. And also how the relationship between parents and children has gone horribly wrong. But none of that is beyond you. So we lift it all up here in this moment. We lift it all up before you. And we ask that for us, this fifth commandment would not be a thing of terror, but a thing of grace, a thing that puts our feet back on a firm foundation and establishes us in your kingdom. So grant that, we pray.